Well, good morning. It's good to see you're springing forward with me. Good, good. We'll jump started here. Hey, how many of uh, how many of you in here make mistakes? Just sort of curious. Anybody in here make mistakes? All right. If you didn't raise your hand, you just made a mistake. So you might as well pump it back up there. We all make mistakes. And um, I, I, I tell you, that's okay. Um, some of us make bigger mistakes than others. You could tell because back in school, the person who made the bigger mistakes, they had the shorter eraser on their pencil, right? And some of your kids are like, what's an eraser? Um, you know, especially if you're taking the ACT, you use those number two pencils, right? But here's the thing. If we had the capability to erase all of our mistakes... Okay, in life that we make, those, even those that we ask God for forgiveness for, I'm not talking about just writing something down and making a mistake, but in life when we sin, when we mess up, if we could erase those, how big of an eraser would you need? It's something to think about, right? How about, and I'll buy an eraser this big, okay? Uh, I would need one uh, ten times that size, probably more than that, right? Um, when we make the mistakes in our lives, it's like, I wish I had something just to erase that out right now. Some of you have heard of erasable pens. Aren't those great? It's like you can actually write with a pen and then you can erase those. Um, some of you like your delete buttons on your computer. Is it Control-Alt-Delete? Is that the other one? I mean, when you really mess up, I mean, just let's reboot, right? Oh, boy. But not everything can be undone. True? I mean, think about this. We love to undo a comment uh, or a moment in our life when something goes bad. I'll never forget my, my, maybe my first or second year in ministry. Um, I, I was at that point in time as a youth pastor. We had with children's uh, little sermon, and I would come up, and the kids would come up, and I'd sit up there, and I'd in front of the congregation and talk to the little kids. And, and uh, right before I came up on stage, I actually ripped my pants. And, um, and I'm not talking about in the knees. I'm talking about in the crotch, Okay. And it's hard to sit down in front of a church and talk to the church. And, and I was like, if I could go back and change it, I would have never. And I, it was just something as simple like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, never do that again, right? But if I could go back and do, undo that moment, I would undo that moment. Matter of fact, that was really simple. There's a lot of other things I wish I could go back and undo, right? And some of you would like that prefix un, un, right? Stick it in front of whatever you need. Some of you have baked things before, and if I could just only unbake those cookies that didn't taste good, right? Or maybe if I could undelete the document that you needed. Or maybe unpost the comments that you posted out there. No, it's already out there, right? Or maybe unthink that lustful thought that ran through your mind. Or maybe unsay those words in the heat of the moment that you got in trouble because you're so angry or that joke you said that was not appropriate. If you could just undo all that, right? But you can't. And some of them are worse. Undo an injury, undo death, undo a moment that where you messed up in your life and it sort of defined your future. If I could just undo those tragic things or those moment life-changing things, I wish I could. But you know what? You can't. Once done... It's done, right? Game over, period, right? But not in today's story. See, in today's story where we think there's a period, it's actually a comma. It's a four-day comma. And this is the last of our, our series in the, in the our sermons in the series of miracles. And it's one of my favorite stories. It is so much of one of my favorites um, that when I started off, you have to stand sometimes with my notes. I put notes in front of me so I don't wander and get lost. Um, 
Maybe I'll have 10 to 12 pages on my sermon notes. When I started out, I had like 50 plus pages on this sermon. Okay? So some of you are like, oh, spring forward, please. Um, I, I know. This is a tough, and it's like people write books on this, on this passage. Um, that it could take days. And so this is one of my favorite stories. So we're going to try to condense it and bring it down and, and pray that God just speaks through his own word and not just me. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do something different. Um, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles. If you don't have one, um, raise your hand. We've got them in the back. We'll bring one to you. But turn to John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament in the Gospels. John chapter 11. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It's an easier translation to read from. Um, so if you're following along with me and you have a different translation, it might be a little hard uh, sometimes uh, you, you can just sort of listen along or try to read along in your version. Um, but in this, in this story, um, I, I really want to encourage you, um, we're not stopping. We're going to go from verse 1 all the way to the end of the story. Uh, and I just want you to put yourself there because it's so hard because some of you have heard this story before. You've heard messages preached. You heard me preach on it maybe 8, 10 years ago when I preached on it maybe. Um, and so it's like, oh, I've heard it before. Ask God just right now just to give you a fresh new look at this, at this scripture. Matter of fact, let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, God, give us a fresh new look at this story. Help us to have listening ears and, and a heart that's ready to accept the truth of the story. God, all those things that we've ever thought about, the anxious moments or, or whatever it may be with this, help us, Lord, just dismiss them. We just want to hear from you right now. In thy name we pray. Amen. John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to read away. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. But when when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory for this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. Finally, after two days, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. But the disciples objected. Teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the Jewish leaders in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you going there again? Do you notice they said, are you? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. As long as it is light, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. Only at night is there danger of stumbling because there's no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, that means he's getting better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was having a good night's rest. But Jesus meant Lazarus has died. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Hey, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany... He was told that Lazarus had already been in a grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to pay their respects and console Martha and Mary on their loss. 
When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, when everyone else rises on resurrection day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she left him and returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were going, who were at the house, tried to console, Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and saw the other people wailing with her. He was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. Then they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible. He's been dead for four days. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you'll see God's glory if we believe? So they rolled the stone away, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Incredible story. Incredible story. A story that we, I pray, hope, as we wrap this up, reminds us the resurrection from darkness, the resurrection from death, a story about new life, and so much more. Let's go back to the very beginning here, the first few verses, where let's just sort of get a feeling and an understanding of the background, the historical setting. It's a, retor- it's a recording that gives us all the hyster- historical background so that we can say, this is true, this is real. It's history. It's recorded. The location, Bethany. Jesus would find home and peace and rest at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were friends. They hung out together. It was a home away from home for him. And it appears at this time, though, Jesus was about 25 miles away. So he's a couple of days away from Bethany. So we have the location. We have the situation. Lazarus is sick. This isn't a head cold. This isn't a slight fever. He is dying. It is a serious enough sickness that... Mary and Martha understand we need Jesus. We've seen Jesus heal people before. We need him here. We need him now. Somebody go get him. Messenger goes off to take Jesus' message. 
So we have the situation, we have the location. We have three main people, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. Lazarus, what do we know about him? He had a special relationship with Jesus, right? In verse 3, we say it's the one you love is sick. We know there is a love bond that Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. It's, it's a close relationship there. We don't know much about Lazarus because he never says much. I think that's because Mary and Martha were always talking. I don't know. But Lazarus, as you see him in the next chapter, oh, he gets chatty. He starts telling everybody about his new life after his resurrection. Mary, now this is, there's six Marys in the New Testament, so let's make sure we get the right Mary here. Okay? So we make sure, we understand that she's the Mary in the Bible who always seems to be at the feet of Jesus. Um, the most famous one is in the next chapter, in John chapter 12, verse 3. It says, six days before the Passover celebration, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he'd raised from the dead. It says, a dinner had been prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with them. And Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and basically poured them over the feet of Jesus, took her long hair, and wiped his feet with that perfume in her hair. She was always at his feet, worshiping. Her relationship with Jesus seemed to be deeper than most others. And then we have Martha. You can find out more about her in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. She seemed to be the busybody. Always serving, always doing. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. Martha was serving. That seems to be the story of her life. Known as the hospitable homemaker, concerned with details, do things the right way, right? So we have the characters, we have the location, we have the situation, what's going on here. But let's understand this about these characters. They're all close to Jesus. They're all close to Jesus. This isn't a story about ungodly people who have bad things happen in their life. This is a story about godly people who are close to Jesus. We sometimes think we're exempt because we're close to Jesus. We're a Christian, right? The problem is not in their relationship with Jesus, as we talked about in previous sermons. Lazarus is sick and dying. The problem is which we can all identify with, right? We all have close relationship with people, people we love, people we know, family members, co-workers, Certain friends that we've built relationships with over the times. We send cards to, we eat out with, we have these deep conversations with, we laugh together, we cry together. You run together, you work out together, you do all these things together. You have close relationships. And when somebody that you are close to gets sick or hurt or goes through a tragic moment, you hurt too. And at some point in time in life, we all experience it. Experience it, And these natural calamities that happen remind us that we live in a fallen world that disrupts our happiness, disrupts our joy. As I've said multiple times, and you'll hear me say it all the time, we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world trying to serve a perfect God. And that's challenging. Death takes those we know and love, and it's during those times we maybe we question the presence of God and His love. You know, when wintertime rolls around, um, love playing games. Now I've sort of moved into let's do puzzles, but we also love to play games around our house, whether it's skip bow or uh, different uh, board games or card games or um, guessing games. Um, but I always think back when I was a kid. See, Today, when you say, you know, we play games, um, we didn't have uh, iPods and Xbox and PlayStation, uh, Dish, Internet. We had cardboard boxes, okay? You had Xbox. We had cardboard box, 
okay? Uh, we had yo-yos, a TV with maybe five channels, if we're lucky, depending on the antenna, how it was turned, right? Uh, Lincoln Logs and other games. We played Uno, uh, we played Dutch Blitz, um, we played Battleship, Trouble, Monopoly, Masterpiece, Mousetrap. Love playing Mousetrap, right? Okay, we played all these kind of games. And there are some games, though, I don't like playing. Some games, like my boys, hey, Dad, you want to play something on Xbox? Just pick the game. It doesn't matter. They'll cream me, okay? So here's the thing. Do I want to play with them? Not anymore. No. I love playing with them when they're little because I could beat them, okay? Now I don't have a chance. So I'm like, oh, I'll make up an excuse. No, I don't want to. No, I don't like games. Oh, my contact dries out when I'm focusing on the game. Uh, I got slow thumbs. I got cold fingers, whatever it may be. I, I just don't want to get creamed, right? I don't want to play that game. There's other games I don't, I don't like playing games with people like trying to outchieve somebody more than another person or, or trying to outdo somebody more than another or those silly relationship games, power games, driving down the road and you pass somebody and they pass you. I'm going to pass them, they pass you, pass, 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 you know. I play that game sometimes. But um, those are games you shouldn't try to play, okay? Um, but sometimes we wonder, like, you ever feel like God's playing a game with you? You ever think, like, sometimes he's playing hide-and-seek with you? Like, you're going to him in prayer, and you're praying and praying, and he's not answering. And it's like, all right, God, I'm, 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 I'm praying. Are you hiding? I'm looking for you. Or maybe it's like Marco Polo. You're like, Marco, you're waiting for God to say Polo, and there's no answer, right? God, where are you at in those moments? I'll say this. God doesn't play games. He doesn't do hide-and-seek. He doesn't do Marco Polo. He doesn't do any of that. When we pray and wait and wait and sometimes wait, God isn't hiding. He doesn't play games. He understands the situation. He knows us. He loves us right where we're at. Jesus said this. He goes, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Know, know this truth. Those whom Jesus loves eventually dies. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they love Jesus. And, and here's the thing, though. His love for them was even greater. You may say you love God, you love his son, Jesus Christ, you love the Holy Spirit that works within you, but you know, he loves you more. You can't out-love him. He loves you more. And Charles Spurgeon once wrote this. He said, the love of Jesus does not separate us from the common necessities and infirmities of human life. Men of God are still men. The covenant of grace is not a charter of exemption from consumption or rheumatism or asthma. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean life continues to go up. Let me remind you something. The law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, basically says this. When left to its own device, things move to disorder, chaos, and decay. That's the way life goes. Cars rust, food rots, things get old, people get old, right? That's the way it is. From the beginning of history, Genesis chapter 3, when sin and death entered the world, we started this decay process. Things don't get better, they get worse. That's the natural decay. That's, that's the law of entropy, right? And what we need to remember is that we shouldn't be surprised that if a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who Jesus loves, gets sick or gets hurt or passes away, we shouldn't be surprised. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this. 
And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment. Every person is destined to die. That's truth. When somebody gets sick or injured, we learn from this passage what to do, though. We pray. That's what Mary and Martha, right away, like, Lazarus is sick. What do we do? Pray. Let's go talk to Jesus. So that gives us a good idea. You know what the first thing we should do? Let's go talk to Jesus. Let's go seek him out. Let's tell him what's going on. And it'll, it'll be no surprise. Jesus isn't like, like, oh, I didn't know. No, I know. And it'll be for God's glory what's going to happen next. He said God will receive glory from this. When we read verse 4, we need to remember that God knows the future, and only God knows the future. And because God knows the future, because God loves us and is concerned with us, and he delights in revealing revealing parts to it at a time to us. And sometimes we don't get the full picture. And in that moment, Jesus, knowing that Lazarus is dead, his friend is gone, that his other friends are crushed, he replies and said, you know what? God's going to get all the glory in this. Just trust me. You consider the extent of this miracle. You think about this. Death is final. Okay? I mean, if Jesus can conquer death in others and later himself, do you think he can take care of our problems? Think that through for a moment, please. If death is the final thing, because we have things in life where we maybe fail a test, or a relationship goes bad, or we get sick, or your car breaks down, or you struggle with finances, or whatever it is, you know, cancer. All these things can happen to us, and we can maybe survive them, or find answers for them. But we know what we haven't found the answer for yet? Death. Death is death. It's final. And in this story, Jesus says, I'm giving you a different outcome. That outcome will give you hope. So that every time you go to a funeral, you can stand there and say, you know what? I have hope. Because Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Lazarus. Jesus has the power to raise himself from the dead. And if Jesus can raise the dead then and now, he will in the future. And someday, whoever it is that has passed, you'll see them again. That's power. So if God can do that. Do you think he can handle your problems right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the many reasons why I love this story to remind me that if Jesus can handle this situation, he can handle any situation. Look back to verse 5 and 6 with me. You look at this verse, it says this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, I love that, he points out, remember, Jesus loves them, right? Although he loved them, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally said, let's go back to Judea. You almost sit there and think, wait, 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 you, you love them. Did you see? Those are in the same sentence there. I love you, but I'm staying right here for now. I'm remaining where I'm at. You say, did he care? Absolutely he cared. And sometimes we don't understand why God delays, why he does things, but Jesus remained there two days, even though he loved them, because he had something special coming up. He delays in love. He delays for the right time because we have to understand this. Heaven's clock is different than our clock. We keep changing our clock. We sprung forward, right? And then our clock is, I want it now. And God's clock isn't anything like that. God's clock doesn't spring forward, fall back. God's clock doesn't say, oh, here, right now or this next second or this next minute. 
When the emergencies arrive in our lives, we place the 911 to God and we expect immediate reply from God. But His timing is not our timing. We want it now, that may not arrive till somewhere in the distant future. Because we're on a journey, not a four minute roller coaster ride. And sometimes it's hard to understand. There's purpose for His delay, there's purpose in why He rewaits. And when I've prayed prayers and it's like six years later, maybe that prayer is answered. It wasn't on my timing, but it was in God's timing. And when somebody gave their life to the Lord recently, it's like, why so long? I don't know, but I know somebody had been praying for that person for years. And it was God's timing. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people were at the house consoling Mary, saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she's going to Lazarus' grave. They followed her. Mary arrived. She fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, um, this past week, um, Betty May, when she fell, she broke her pelvic bone. So she's at Fulton Manor, went to go visit her, and we're having this conversation with her. And she was a little upset with God, wasn't she, Karen? Yeah. And she admitted it, and she felt bad for saying it. but I was just, you know, can I say this? It was refreshing to hear that. She's being real. And I think we're all like that. It's like, I love God, but right now I'm a little upset. You know, I, I want this in my life right now, or I want to be healthy, or I want that. And it's like, it's not happening. And, and look at what Mary and Martha, they both say this. This verse, and then down a few verses. If you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, they aren't blaming Jesus, but yet they are. They know he's not to blame for bad things, but they know he can keep bad things from happening. So it's like, you know, if you had been here, this wouldn't happen. I mean, Jesus, you can walk on water. You can heal from a distance. Say it here, they're healed over there. You can make blind people see. You can postpone death. You are able. But you know what we haven't seen Jesus do yet in these six miracles? We've had six miracles. This is miracle number seven we're talking about. You know what we've not seen yet in all these things? Death. Water to wine. Let's make the married family happy. We can do simple things. We can feed 5,000. We can make the hungry, the blind see. We can, you know, we help this, this, all parents, your kid's really sick. Jesus can heal those kids, you know. We see all these great miracles, right? But we don't have to deal with death till now. We know he can do all this, but here he's going to stretch it. And then verses 38, 38 to 44, it comes to the best part, okay? This is the epic battle between good and bad, okay? The scene is if you're reading it for the first time, it would be a jaw dropper. But here's the problem. We've all heard this story before. I'm, I'm assuming most of us have heard this story before, right? So it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this story. I've heard it. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, could we just hear it for the first time? Our jaws would drop. If we would have seen it for the first time in real life, we would have been just falling to our knees or jumping in joy. I mean, now it's sort of ho-hum when we read it. Jesus was angry when he got to the tomb. He's mad at what? Death. He hates death. He hates sin. And there's this stone rolled across the entrance where his friend he loves has been buried for four days. And he says, roll that stone aside. And Martha's like, Jesus, man, it's... It stinks, or in the King James, it stinketh, right? It's not a good smell. And then Jesus like, didn't I tell you you'd see God's glory? Hold on. 
Hold on. And then he prays. Oh, Lord. And he prays out loud. Why? So everybody around can hear he's got a relationship with God the Father. And he prays aloud so they know what's going to happen next. And then he shouts, Lazarus, come out. Oh, this is like the best part, right? They just rode this big stone away. Everybody takes a step back because they're like, oh, yeah, it smells horrible. No, you, do you ever, anybody ever do that before? Like you open up the milk thing, it's like, ooh, it's sour. Here, smell it. And what do we do? Oh, yeah, you're right. We got to wise up. I mean, I, we're supposed to be intelligent people, right? So they roll the stone away, and I don't think anybody's like, ooh, Jesus, yeah, come take a whip. No, everybody, I think everybody's back, okay? They roll the stone away. What does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. Now, understand ancient burial, okay? Bound at the ankles, arms to the side, wrapped typically with 100 pounds of linen cloth, okay? 100 pounds. We're not just taking a bed sheet and wrapping you once. You are mummified, basically. And that's probably what Lazarus has gone on right now is to preserve his body. And so, Lazarus, come out. Do you remember the end of the story? Unwrap him and let him go. He's still wrapped up. Now, not to sound sacrilegious, but I think he did a hallelujah hop all the way out of the grave. Because he's bound like this. He wasn't like, hey, wow, whoo, feels good to be alive. Okay? He, he, you can't even see his face yet. He's just boop, 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 boop. And you can imagine, yeah, see, I mean, everybody, I think we'd be laughing. We'd also be scared. We, we would have mixed emotions, wouldn't we? We're like, this isn't really happening, right? It happened. It happened. And know this, Jesus calls us, I love it, Jesus calls us back to life. He was dead physically. Jesus brings him back to life physically. And he does the same thing with us physically and spiritually. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the races God set before us. I love that picture, stripping off the sin in our life that tangles us. And it's like he was bound up physically, but it's like us being bound up spiritually. You know, we're all spiritually dead at one point in our life. All living in dark places in our life. Then we ask Christ to come into our life. We confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because we believe what John 3.16 says. That God sent his one and only son to whoever believes in him. What? Not perish, but have everlasting life. And we believe that and we, we confess with our mouths our sins. And what does Jesus do? He gives us new life. He just rips those grave clothes off of us and says, you're free. You're unbound. And he spiritually frees us from what entangles us. And he resurrects us and he gives us new life. And it's a beautiful scene as Lazarus comes hopping out of there. And then it says in that last part of the scripture, after he comes out, and Lazarus came out bound in grave clothes, his face is wrapped in a, in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Let him walk. He's looking a little ridiculous right now. But I love what Jesus did too. He also got others involved. Hey, why don't you guys go up and unwrap him? I did my part. Why don't you do your part? Sometimes I sit there and think that's what Jesus wants us to do and go and tell others about him. Go to those who are bound right now. 
those who are bound by sin, those who are wrapped up in their, in their worldly problems and say, help them find Jesus and be free. I love this story because I think about, you know, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ once a year on Easter, even though we may reference it all the time, but we just, boom, on Easter, right? But we live the rest of the year as if Jesus is still on that cross. We should see it differently. He was on that cross for less than a day, a few hours, right? Long enough to bear our sins and our pain and our and our and death, long enough to pay a price to redeem us from our past, our present, and our future. The rest of life of Jesus was in victory, resurrected victory. And he shares that with us. I love this story because the final miracle we're looking at reveals the true identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, What? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not just a guy with good stories or, or philosophy or great readings or a code of ethics or, or good morals. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Jesus called Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus walked out of his own tomb. He's the resurrection and the life. Please understand this. Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who loves you, says, I am life. And when somebody passes away, we weep for them because we miss them. We love them, right? But know this, they're with Jesus. If they place their faith in him, they're with Jesus, right? And someday you will see them because of the resurrection. Because Jesus has that power to defeat sin and death. That gives us hope. And I love this story because it reminds me that no one is out of reach of God's love. What we might call impossible, God says possible. Four days dead. See, when somebody dies, we put a period there, right? God says, no, comma, four-day comma, because I'm bringing them back to life. Death is not final. I love this story because Jesus takes from the grave and gives life. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Satan is a thief. But Jesus robs the grave on this day. What Satan tries to steal from us, life, joy, Jesus says, uh-uh, taking that back. I'm going to show you what real life is, what real joy is. And gives new life. And he robs from the grave and gives new life. I love this story for many reasons. Many reasons. But I want you as a church to hear this story in a new light. And understand that Jesus Christ gives us new life. Victorious life. If you are bound up right now by some sin or something that's just sort of slowing you down, let Jesus take it off. Let Jesus revive you. Today's not a day to sit there and say, oh man, I'm... I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know what this is going on. It's going. Go back to the story. What's the impossible in your life? Jesus can make it possible, right? The biggest thing, though, is that new life in him. That should be giving you a new joy today. That should be giving you hope today. That because of the resurrection of Lazarus and then the resurrection of Jesus, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, we should have a different step in our life. I'm not going to ask you to do a hallelujah hop this morning, okay? But I am going to remind you 
that you have life today because of what Jesus gave you. So if you were Mary and Martha and your brother comes back out, how are you feeling right now? Did you ever lose something? Can't find it? And you find it an hour later, a day later, a year later? It seems like the longer you're missing something, the more joyful it is to receive it. Think about this. What's been taken from you, God's given back to you new life. Be thankful for what he's given to you. Would you please stand, worship team, come forward. Be thankful for what God has given back to you. He's given you new life. Celebrate that. Celebrate what God has given you. A new life, a new resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, for this story. There's so much there, so much to unpack. But God, as I look at this story and, and what maybe what I need to hear today for myself personally and what somebody else needs to hear personally, it might have been two or three different things. I don't know. But God, this is what I do know. You've conquered sin. You've conquered death. We don't need to walk around with our shoulders slumped down and feeling woe is me when you give us new life. You give us the opportunity to defeat the sin in our life because of you, because of your power, because of your resurrection. We should have all the hope in the world because we got you, our true hope and joy. So God, I thank you for all the miracles that we've looked at in your word, but I thank you for this miracle because it is the ultimate miracle to conquer sin and death. And God, even a greater one we get to talk about in a couple of weeks. God, thank you for what you've given us. Lord, we want to sing to you now and just celebrate. Maybe even picture Lazarus coming out of that tomb and what he said when he came out of that tomb. May we say it too. In thy name we pray, amen.